Welcome, ladies and germs. Episode nine of the Mez. It's just me today, but I have a story. I know, shock and surprise. I have a story for you. Here's the thing. I did something this past week that I haven't done in a really long time. I wrote this introduction. I sat down and decided to write you this story. Guys, I have made a choice. You should all be so proud that I made a decision. This show is going to change yet again, but this time for the better. And in a way, I was always hoping it would. You know, I have dreams and goals and ideas, and it's about damn time I start chasing them. You know, this is the kind of episode I have always wanted to share with you, and it feels like the beginning of a really exciting new chapter on this journey of podcasting, of writing, of having conversations with interesting people. This is so, so thrilling. However, I want to preface all of this by saying to everybody who has stuck by me on this journey, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Your support and your love means the absolute world to me. Now, joining me on today's program is Tim LeFave, New England native, just like me. Uh, Tim has played with Wayne Krantz, Tedeschi Truxpan, Donnie McCaslin, David Bowie, yes, that David Bowie, and the Black Crows, as well as a host of so many wonderful wonderful, wonderful other projects. Um, I'm going to warn you right now, if you're a fan of New York or LA, don't stick around at the end because we talk about the Patriots. I'm worried. I'm just, I just want to let you know ahead of time because they care about you. That's why. Above all that, however, he is a marvelous human being and someone I am delighted to be able to call my friend. So, Without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with the wonderful Tim LaFave. Well, first of all, thank you for doing this. My absolute pleasure. Nice to see you again. So good to see you. Um, I want to start at the beginning. Yeah. Um, I was say, I saw you right before the COVID happened, right? I saw yeah. you at the, was it the Regatta Bar? Yeah. <laughs> I know that was January. It feels like forever ago. Was it? Oh, that was January, right? It wasn't February. I, I was thinking, but it was the end of January. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, Cambridge. What? In Cambridge. I said Cambridge. <laughs> That's, we had just gotten back from China and Japan, so like, right. I, I could have been an asymptomatic carrier, I think, at that point. I might, I might have been. I don't know. I haven't gotten tested, so who knows? Whoa. <laughs> I haven't gotten anybody sick, so it's it's not like. I mean, who knows? Knock on wood. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so first, speaking of Cambridge, let's start there. So you're from Foxborough. That's right. Um, I, I feel like, I don't know if this is a dumb question or not, but I'm curious. Explain to me a little bit about um, growing up in Massachusetts and how that may or may not have influenced your taste musically. Well, I mean, you know, it wasn't like because of Foxborough. My, I mean, luckily, you know, my 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 brother was a big influence on my music taste. Like, I had some friends who were like a little bit older than me in high school. Like when I was a freshman in high school, my brother was a junior, and then there was people like my friends Steve Chaplin and Scott Chaplin. They were all older than me, so they influenced my musical taste. And then, you know, the Foxborough High School band program happens to be amazing. So, like, 
that's really kind of where it all started. And um, hang on, I'm just adjusting this. Uh, that's kind of where it all started. And then, um, you know, my dad was a middle school music teacher in Attleboro. So, you know, I was kind of surrounded by it. You know, there was an, I had an advantage. So, um, and then, you know, like, like uh, just, you know, in the era, like I grew up in the 70s and 80s in Foxborough. So it was like, you know, whatever was on WAAF or BCN or, you know, you remember those stations? It was great. I mean, so like the Jones, Boston, Jay Giles, you know, all that stuff. And then I was listening to a good amount of jazz because of my friends. So, you know, it was like a whole thing. It was, it was cool. But, you know, mostly it was because of my friends, not really Foxborough so much. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But, you know, it, the cool part was, like, I live right behind the stadium. So, like, we'd go. At that point, like, they'd let you in after halftime for free. So, you could, I went to almost every game on Sundays and, you know, panicked my parents out. Because you had to walk, which is what is now Patriot Place. But you have to walk through sand pits to get to the stadium. And so, you know. And people would park at our house and stuff to go to the games to walk through the woods. So. Oh, that's cool. Well, that's interesting. Because I want to talk to you about. First of all, I didn't know that your dad was a music teacher. That's awesome. Yep. That's really cool. Um, so what was the sound of your house like? What were some of the things that you remember hearing as a kid that stuck with you? My dad was playing as he played as some like, you know, Herbie Hancock, um, you know, chameleon and all that stuff. So we, you know, I think he had a tape deck in his car. So like when we were in the car, it was quite a bit of that. Uh, it was like that some Aretha Franklin, like there's an Aretha Franklin, like famous church, you know, gospel record. Um, and he used to play that, what a friend, you, what a friend we have in Jesus, I think, you know, and, and so like, you know, I remember hearing that when, it, when I was a kid, what else did I remember hearing? Um, you know, and, and, and generally speaking, like, you know, a, a lot of the songs, like a lot of the taste making was on AM radio. So like WBZ and all that stuff they, and HDH, they used to play music all the time. So like you hear all the hits of the day, you know, Paul McCartney, uh, you know, uh, what was the guy's name? from uh Steelers wheel like all that stuff you know like there, it was like all those classic songs you know yeah so, it was wild that's awesome yeah it was fun that's really cool like a radio driven era, era back then you know so absolutely especially um you know in rock music at that time like rock radio was so important before I got I used to work at iHeart as you know and um but when I got laid off, one of the guys to go before me was Bradley J, who was a, a, a DJ on BCN forever, forever, right. forever. And so when you think about the impact of radio then versus radio now, it's like two different things. They're not even the same business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's wild just to even think about it. You know, it's like, Right. And the labels would come in and pay the radio stations money to, to, I mean, remember, I, you know, I think the radio stations in Boston broke the band Boston. Remember, remember Boston? I mean, you know, it just was kind of like, you know, and, and, you know, they weren't so focused on, you know, this is before the bean counters came and took over the labels too. So it was like, you know, there was more interesting stuff going on and, you know, you had a chance to hear more interesting rock and stuff back then. It was cool. It's a good era. I thought, you know, like, you know, everything, Led Zeppelin, Stones, like all this stuff was on the on the radio, which you never hear on the radio anymore. Pink Floyd, especially Pink Floyd, The Wall was coming out. Like that came out in 78. So I was like 10. So like, you know, um, all we are is just another brick on the wall was like on the radio all the time. Like I know every note of that song because it was just, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. Incredible. It's like, wow, you know, a wild era. That's crazy. And it's interesting that you bring up that, um, 
that particular piece of music because it sort of leads into this next idea of like certain things that we hear as young kids and why they stick with us you being a musician and understanding the growth and sort of development that you go through as a professional quote unquote why do you think first of all what were some of the things that really stuck with you as you started to get serious about playing and why do you think some of those things became so important um i guess you know my first professional experience like i had gig through college and stuff like that i'd done some gigs with my my dad like playing weddings and crap like that around around the boston area so like you know i i hated it honestly so i wasn't even sure if i was in love with playing it and then i then after college like you know i went you know my parents wouldn't let me get a music degree so i had to get a regular college degree so like you know I kind of went to some places and did some interviews like nationwide insurance and stuff like that. And I, and I could just picture myself hanging from a noose in an office like that scene in Mad Men. And I was like, oh man, I can't do it because, cause you, you know, so then I just went on cruise ships and, and my first, the first taste of it was like, you know, these older guys, they were a lot older than me. They were like in their forties, fifties. And they were just telling me I sucked <laughs> and they were right. It wasn't, it wasn't like they were wrong, but that really motivated me to get better. I was like, I'm not going to suck. If I'm going to do this, you know? So, and I have generally low self-esteem as it is. So like sucking became part of the, uh, you know, you know, it's Boston low self-esteem is a, is a real thing. So like, I, I kind of, I made a decision to just, uh, and it, you know, for, for, unfortunately it was all fear-based, but I was just like, I'm not going to suck. I'm just going to get better until nobody's better than me. You know what I mean? Right. But that is, you're absolutely right. That Bostonian, like, I'm going to fight this. <laughs> exactly. exactly. You're like, like, I can't have people saying that about me. Right, exactly. <laughs> Haters, you know, but like back then it was just like, you know, if somebody told you you sucked, you took it very seriously. Yeah, for sure. Um, so to continue on this sort of thought process here, um, when you did start playing and like get serious about it, when you had that moment of like, I'm going to fight this, <laughs> um, who were some of the people that you were listening to for your initial inspiration to give you that sort of foundation of, okay, this is the direction I want to head in? Uh, yeah, it was sort of like, um, I mean, early on, it was like this guy's Zach Danziger. He was, a, he was a, like, really without him, I wouldn't have a career. He was a, he was a drummer friend of mine who I met on a cruise ship. He, the, the three years after I graduated college, I was out on cruise ships. And like, fortunately, the drummer, this guy, Pete Davenport, was also a really great drummer, lives in Brooklyn. But he was, his friend was Zach Danziger, who was like kind of like this young wonderkind, um, kind of Dave Weckelish, Vinnie Kaliuta kind of, you know, star young drummer. So he came out to the ship and, and hung for a little while. And then, uh, so I started bugging him about being in New York because I had always like sort of fantasized about living in New York, you know, because I loved it there. And I said, do you think I could get by if I moved to New York? And, you know, so he, he, um, so I moved to New York and then so like, you know, from there, I was just kind of getting these sounds in my ears. Like, like when, he was playing with this guy, Wayne Krantz, who you saw at, at um, Regatta Bar. And like, they had just come out with this record that was super, and I just got instantly hooked on it. You know, uh, it was super hard music, but just the sound of it was incredible. Like in the writing was just all this stuff. So like that kind of got in my head. And then, and then, you know, also at that time when I was in New York, like Michelle and Deggio Cello's record came out, the piece, I mean, um, uh, Plantation Lullabies had come out. Uh, and I, you know, from there, I kind of was like, um, 
so that kind of shook me up and then and then all this hip-hop like the tribe called quest and stuff like that it was kind of like all relevant at that time so like you know that's that was the stuff i was getting in my ears and that was because of you know like henry hay and all the guys i was hanging out with because they, they were good at discovering new music so that wound up being very influential to me um and you know it's kind of like from that and then you know as you know it's just kind of mushroom clouds you know oh check this out check this out and you know but i wasn't you know i wasn't really checking out players it wasn't like that for me i was never i kind of had horse blinders on for some reason when i moved to new york so i, I didn't really get influenced by anybody except for who i was checking out on records which was you know you know daryl jones uh marcus miller victor bailey you know like so it was just kind of like that kind of thing i wasn't influenced by anybody in the middle who was out gigging in New York, a couple guys like Fima Efron, who was in a couple bands and, and a couple dudes like that, but it wasn't like any major, you know, huge thing. Like, mm -hmm. to, oh my God, I'm gonna study with this guy. Like, the, you know, cause it was guys like Matt Garrison. It was all this, like this whole scene of bass players. Sorry, I'm really nerding out on you here. <laughs> but, yeah, but no, there was a whole scene of guys like shredders and blah, blah, blah. And I was just, I couldn't get with it. So I was just like, I kind of, fortunately, you know, things happened where I didn't have to choose that. It just kind of happened, so. Yeah. And can you talk about being in New York? Because New York is this endlessly fascinating place to me for so many reasons. Um, but from a jazz perspective, jazz perspective, yeah. um, as pretentious as that sounds, I apologize in advance. I think. It, <laughs> I good think awareness. Just, I like that. Yeah, it's it's I because I a lot of friends of mine when I was in school went to Berkeley and a lot of them are jazz musicians. So we used to, you know, go off about that. Um, but yeah, so the uh, the question that I have for you is explain to me that city feels very alive musically. Um, can you talk about what it felt like to play the music you were playing with the people you were playing it with in that city? at that time because that's a very eclectic i don't think if people listening i i hope you understand how how sort of unique it is to have a hip-hop record influence a jazz record and vice versa right because you would think on paper that those two things don't really make sense when in truth they do in a very real way 100 right um yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how I exactly, I don't remember exactly incorporating it, but I know like, it winds up in your DNA. So like, you know, if I was playing with Wayne Krantz one night, like, you know, in sections where we were just improvising, like I know it would come out, you know what I mean? You know, like even, you know, like, uh, um, you know, anything off of off of low end theory, you know what I mean? Like, like those are, those are titanic, uh, huge you know like like life-changing bass lines for everybody not just me you know they're iconic so like you know i'm sure i'm i played like some form or shape of it at some time you know what i mean just because it winds up in your dna um mm -hmm. same thing with like you know having checked out a lot of john schofield's like it wasn't like i sat there and transcribed it but just flavors of it came out it was you know it's just kind of because i listened to that stuff so much that it's just like you know i wasn't like i had a million records i just but the ones i had i wore out so yeah for sure yeah you know, so in New York, it was like, you know, the whole thing about that was, you know, there was, I mean, certainly right now it's a different place, but, but, uh, you know, it's still, back then it was still a heyday. There was still some cool stuff happening, you know, and I feel like, you know, what we were doing kind of uh, influenced a generation of guys right after us, which are, in, who are now the marquee names in jazz. I know, I know this for a fact, actually. So it's, which is fine. It doesn't, it's great. I actually, you know, like I'm, I'm happy about it, but it's, it is a, it's, it's a thing. You know. Oh, sure. And one thing that I'm curious about, too, is I've had conversations with 
other musicians about this, but there was, there seems to be this moment when you realize you can improvise. Like I was having this conversation with a drummer friend of mine many years ago who at one point, like the Grateful Dead, like woke him up at one point. It just hit him that like you could play polyrhythmic music and make it sound cool, you know, and improvise in these weird time signatures and stuff. But it has to, op your eyes have to open at a certain point, right? Do you remember that moment for you? About the, the eye opening part? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about that. I would call it that. I just, like like being exposed to different music in, in other words, or, or playing? Or in other words, I guess I, guess I worded it wrong. It's, it just, there, there was a sense, when I look back on that conversation, I'll explain it this way, is that all of a sudden he realized there was a whole, he was freer as a musician because he wasn't tied to a chart, you yes. know, or like a structure, right? Yep. There was a moment he realized, oh, I don't have to follow all these rules. I can break all these rules and have it and still make music that means something or sounds good or whatever you want to describe it as. Well, let me put it to you this way. Like, like I came at it from another way around it. Like, you know, at the end of the 90s in New York, well, actually really in London, it was like all the drum and bass scene, the jungle scene was happening. So like there, there, there became a scene in New York was, you know, spearheaded by Jojo Mayer, Zach Danziger, a bunch of, bunch of us were just, we became like a collective playing drum and bass music live. Right. But it was all, I mean, yes, it was influenced by the, you know, they would rotate sets between DJs and, and the band. Right. So basically what was happening, like the DJ would play a set and then the band would play a set, but the, the band was improvising the whole set. It wasn't like, you know, but it, but it was, it, but it was heavily influenced by the sounds of drum and bass. Right. It wasn't like we were just like free. So that became a thing. And then, then, you know, have, having done that, it was like, okay, cool. Uh, I'm not worried. Like, and then, then sometimes I do it, you know, at the 55 hour, like all these jazzers, right? And, but, but that kind of gave me a different angle to come at stuff with, just because I was you know, informed by electronica and a bunch of other stuff. So like, it, you know, that was the eye-opening part for me. I was just like, oh, okay, I, I can do this with full confidence. And, and nobody was just like, I mean, yeah, I'm sure there were people who were just like, well, I don't like how he plays, or I don't like what he does. Because it's not traditional, right? It's not like just down the pike, like what people are used to. It wasn't just a guy showing up with an electric bass or an acoustic bass and just playing notes. And I wasn't into that. So in the end, you know, I had a different unique angle to it. And so, um, I mean, that's me looking back at it. But now when I was doing it at first, I was like, I hope people like, you know, like hope this, the guys like this because it's, you know, it's nerve wracking P putting that, you know, you know, being that bold and just like, you know, breaking normal, normal, you know, blah, 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 whatever, whatever the, the case w was, but, it, but having done those, those live drum and bass nights, it was just like, okay. And plus, you know, with Wayne Krantz band, you know, at that point he'd been writing, he'd like took all the stuff from that record called Long To Be Loose, which is a record that was in my ears a lot in New York. And he just, he just distilled the, like the best parts of it, like the hooks parts. So like, you know, all we were playing with it was the hooks and the rest of it was improvised. So like at the 55 bar, we were improvising a lot. And then, you know, so it turned into like, I was doing a lot of improvised stuff. Some of it was more structured than others, but um, you know, just having all that experience is like, okay, cool. I'm totally cool doing this. That's why, like, I'm you know nowadays, I'm just like, yeah, cool. Let's, let's not plan anything out. Let's just play. You know what I mean? Awesome. Yeah, it's good. It's it's uh it's a good tool to have, and that's what I'm trying to you know like now that there's no gigs going on and all the, you know I have all these students that that's what they want. That's what they want. I mean, some people want some technical info, which is fine, but a lot of them just want. Well, how do you? What's happening here? You know, like like what. They, they pick out records from the thing and just so like, what, what's the concept, you know? It's really cool. 
I try to explain it. I mean, I'm not great at it because I'm self-taught too. So, but yeah, it's one of those things. Awesome. I, I, speaking of that, that sort of leads me into a different area as well. This thought of, cause I'm not personally like jazz has always appeared jazz, right. That has always appeared very pretentious. Um, but there is an air of like, I remember I took a history of jazz class and we'd spent like two weeks listening to Sun Ra and Sonny Rollins, like really weird sort of off the wall stuff. And most people in the class were, as they would have called them squares, right? And so, because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to your brain, right? That this, some, this stuff would be called music. And yet the tradition of playing things that are free, that are out, that are, you know, avant-garde or wacky or whatever, has been healthy in the community since then, right? Can you talk about, and, and it always felt to me very unpretentious, right? There was no pretense in what they were doing that you could tell that they took it seriously, right. but there was no sense of like, we're more important than you because we're doing this thing or whatever. And so can you talk about sort of, can you talk about that a little bit, I guess, cause I'm curious as to the culture of the scene for folks who may be a little afraid of it, who are curious, who are trying to like wrap their head around this material. Well, I mean, you know, improvised music is usually 100% audience, uh, honest, right? Because it's like, you're just not planning anything. It's just like, there's no, there's no game plan to it. I mean, you've seen who's had us, that's exactly what, what that is. So like, um, it's, it's honest. So like, you know, I get it. I mean, there's no, there's no discernible melody sometimes, but, but I'm like kind of a rhythm guy anyway. So like, you know, for me, I'm in it for the rhythms. So, and other people are in it for other things. You know what I mean? Like, you know, a lot of people, you know, half the people that used to come to our shows were Tedeschi trucks fans. You know what I mean? And they were like, what the hell's going they, I know they were like, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, but like, you know, like you look at somebody like Kevin Williams, like who's got this magnetic energy and it's just like, you know, even though he's playing totally out, like, as out as anybody ever has ever played, really. I mean, that's that's one of the things I love about him. But he's, you know, he's out. He's in, the great thing about him is like, you know, he's he's willing to play the freest stuff, but he's he tries to engage the audience with it. So I think that's, and again, like I think it's also 100% honest. You know, he, I know, you know, people could look at it as a, as a shtick, but it's it's not. It's just like you know. I'm going to blast this horn in your face, right? You know, you've seen him do that. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to be okay with it. <laughs> yeah, and you're going to like it with your, with your beer. Right? Yeah, and it's it's like, so I, I love that. I mean, you know, plus it's a, like an added surprise. Because if you're standing up on stage, it's like kind of playing and there's no visual fun thing to it. It's like, you know, then it is what it is, right? Mm. Um, I mean, when we, when we did that first vinyl record, we were at a jazz club in, in Berlin and it's just like, yeah. That just was what it was. But even then, like, Kevin went out in the audience, you know, <laughs> hysterical. So, awesome. yeah, it was good. I mean, you know, but but it was more like standing on stage, like here, you know. Yeah. So, but but there's a there's a thing to it that's unpretentious. So it's it's kind of cool, you know. Yeah. And I do want to talk about Who's Hat for sure, because, first of all, that was like one of the most fun shows, <laughs> because that club, for people who've never been to Rockwood Music Hall Stage 3, there's no phone service it's dark, it's cramped, it's hot, it's sweaty. It's very un-COVID safe. Um, and th it was just from the minute the guy, you guys started, it was like, go, 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 go. 
and it felt like I think because the room was so tight that definitely played a part in how the music interacted with all of us in that room but it felt like first of all it felt like you guys were having so much fun oh like, yeah is that as fun is it as fun for you as it is for us i mean you know that that was the most packed gig of the tour it was like you know the, the that tour was like that was like a group of like five gigs and it was like it was very very it was content gold attendance light you know but i didn't care because it's like you know what i think the secret the thing that that makes it better to me is is uh having kokai on board you know and jeff taylor was there that night too and jeff jeff was awesome but like kokai like felt competition from jeff and so kokai was just laying it out it was like some really really ballsy shit. it was it was pretty amazing so you know like i've there's a couple clips of like you know bill bear took like that yeah. are just fire like you, you know i was like that was what was going on i was like holy shit. you know you don't even realize it till afterwards. So like, you know, that gig was, was really incredible. And actually like I got it, nothing has materialized from it, but you know, after that gig, cause a couple of people who were in Michelle and Tegio Cello's band were there, like she's starting some imprint label and like, you know, so they suggested that, you know, we do something with her. So, you know, I don't, it may happen at some point, but, but yeah, yeah, let's see. But, but uh, yeah, it was, that was cool. That was a cool night for sure. That was a good way to end that. Yeah. And can I can can you explain for those listening who are not familiar, who is whose hat is this? Okay, it's uh, it's basically, I mean, it's Falcon's idea for it to be a collective, but I don't really see it that way. Like it's kind of like the group. Like no, nobody has ever really ever. I mean, some people have sat in, but it's been pretty rare, right? So, uh, I knew Kokai from uh, from Washington. He lives in Washington D.C. And in fact, like at the Warner Theater, he he his, he used to clerk at a wa at a law office right above it. So I would text him once in a while and say, hey, I'm in town if you want to hang. And, you know, because I knew him from back in the day. Um, he was, he used to, he used to be in Steve Coleman's band, like, you know, these famous Steve Coleman groups of the eighties and stuff. And so, uh, I mean, the whole thing, like it really kind of took off as an idea when we were, we were at Warner theater, like I think 2017 and uh, we had a gig planned from the, you know, the DC underground. What was that? Um, what's that, uh, that group that, you know, where you buy tickets, but you don't know who you're going to see. What's that, what's that called? Um, Oh, uh, so far sounds. So far sounds right. They they booked us on a gig down there, like in this subway station, because we had a night off after the after the Warner Theater. So like, I said, I invited Kokai to come down and 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 rap with us, and and it was like it was it was such a cool night because you know it was it was like I think maybe they advertised it as like you know maybe it's Tedeschi Trucks people or maybe not. So there was like 150 200 people down there in the subway. So we went down. You've seen videos of this, and Kokai come, came and ripped, and it was just like it was incredible, like just banging. So. After that, we made it a plan to try to include him on every tour. So, um, so there's Kokai. Um, then, you know, the, the two drummers from Tedeschi Trucks, J.J. Johnson and, uh, and Tyler Greenwell, the Falcon, and then Kevin Williams, right? So, like, that's kind of the core of the band. And then, you know, Kokai comes whenever he can. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just is an idea. Like, we were on tour. As, we, we toured Europe. I, I forget what year it was. 2015, I think. And I was like, you know, I know, because I, I've been touring Europe forever with other bands. So I was like, you know, I know this guy in Berlin, there's a jazz club in Berlin, I could probably book his gig, I'll just go jam. And then like, you know, so I did it and it, they happened to record it too. That's that turned into the first vinyl. Um, so then, you know, we tried to do it as much as we could after that, um, you know, 
I kind of got frowned upon by management a few times, but but more or less it was like you know you know just if given a chance, I think it could, it could be something. You know, we're on hiatus right now, but it's you know, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's great. I think, and the one thing I want to ask you about it because you know I, I'm a huge fan of this idea of like repurposing these old musical traditions and making them something new again or something to be excited about now. And um, this idea of playing music that sounds like the music that you all play, that you yourself have played for many, many years, has, as I said, a tradition in jazz music that has existed for a very long period of time. And what I'm noticing, at least in my sort of casual paying attention to what's going on in jazz culture right now, is that there is a desire of quote unquote young people who are hungry for music that sounds this way. Um, can you talk about the importance of maintaining this musical tradition? Of jazz? Yeah. Well, I was just gonna tell you like, you know, like, like I think about when I'm doing like the gig with like, say, uh, who's had this, right? I'm thinking about jazz about 10% of the time. But the other times I'm thinking about like wh whatever, like Serge Gainsbourg or you know, like like bass music or or some some dubstep stuff. You know, what I mean, like I think what the, what the the main thing is is the improvisation, right? Right. So it doesn't. I mean, which I guess comes from whatever. I'm not really even sure. Like if if you can even call that the original idea is jazz. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not an expert in that stuff. But um, I'm oh, sorry. I I just got distracted. Like like so. What what was the question? Like repeat. No, the... it's just sort of this idea of like improv, as you said, this sort of you know, unfiltered expression of sound. You think people want to do this? Is that right? Uh, yeah, and like I, it, to me, there seems to be this desire of young players who are exploratory. Um, you know, from what I recall, the crowd that night looked relatively young. You know. Um, that's exciting to me and I'm wondering I guess if it's exciting to you and why you think so I mean I just feel like I have to do it so like you know it's neither like if there's two people in the room or a hundred doesn't matter you know I mean like I'm, I'm just there full bore you know just gonna do it um I mean you, you know like in the jam band scene sure I mean that's that's what it's all about really I mean they have some songs and then they stretch um I mean like you know all those bands sort of do it they all but they all do it from like the Grateful Dead you know, they began with fish and the Grateful Dead and they take it from there. It's not really coming from like electronica or, and if it is, you know, like, you know, like, like Ryan Stasek's a friend of mine, like, you know, he, he's the guy in Humphreys McGee. And like, so like, you know, he's, he's, we use the same pedals now. Like, you know, he's into like blowing people's heads off with subs like me. So like, he's doing it in front of a far bigger audience, but like, you know, I feel like I've had an influence enough on people where that's kind of a thing now. It's cool. And if he's introducing those sounds to his audience, that's great. I think, I think it's amazing, you know? How does that feel for you to be like someone that people look back at or look up to and say, he inspired me? I mean, it's cool. I, you know, I love it, of course. It's not, there's nothing to complain about with it. You know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> it's very flattering and stuff. And, um, but I don't sit there and obsess about it. I'm right. like, Tell me. it's just like, okay, next. next. Yeah, exactly. Cause you, well, you got to pay the rent, right? It's like, you know, that, that kind of stuff won't help you pay the rent most of the time. So, uh, that's kind of where I come from in that. I, I don't, I don't dwell on it. I just kind of move along, you know? Yeah. I but, do want to shift gears. Oh no, go ahead. Sorry. I, but you know, I get messages all the time. It's like, man, you know, 
these old Krantz records or, you know, like this Black Star, of course, you know, like just a bunch of stuff. And it's just always happened. So it's like, it's, it's cool. It's very flattering, you know. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, speaking of some of the other projects that you've worked on, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about David. Um, because I feel like that would be monumental for just about anybody. Um, was that for you? Uh, you know, as a, as a career of like cornerstone. Yeah. Incredible. You know, I mean, in the actual sessions though, it was like, you know, okay, cool. Like at first it was like, Oh geez, it's David Bowie. Like, you know, we're all, we're all kind of nervous, but you know, he came in and he looked sick and it was, you know, he was just asking us to be cool and not say anything. And so like, he just came in totally as a human being, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it just remained that way. It was, it wasn't like when we recorded it, it wasn't a circus at all. It was just, you know, it was him, the engineers, studio assistant, uh, Kabir Herman, who's a great dude. And he moved away from New York too, but, you know, and, and just the band. So it was like David, Coco Schwab, his longtime assistant. Uh, I can't remember what his nutritionist name was, but, you know, like funny story, like me and Mark Giuliano were, basically what happened, like me and Mark Giuliano were, were coffee junkies. We still are. So like, you know, but, but David would always want one and then the nutritionist would have to come up with us. You know, so we'd make coffee and, you know, like, is it David, you want one? He goes, yeah, I'll take one. And so, you know, so finally, you know, like the nutritionist is like, man, you can't give him that much caffeine. He's, he's going to be completely jacked out of his mind, <laughs> which I thought was funny. It is. Funny. We're getting David, David Bowie high on caffeine. It was pretty funny. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, but no, but generally speaking, it was like low key workman, like atmosphere. The, the real circus is when the stuff came out. It was like, oh, Jesus, you know. New York Times, and, and and when David died, it was just like that was crazy, you know. Because you knew it was coming. That no, he, no, he went into remission, and oh. also, you know, we started in January 2015, right? 2015, we did a week a month for like January, February, March, just first week of each month or something, you know, whatever we could work out. Because actually, at the time, we were doing uh, Tedeschi Trucks record too. We were doing Let Me Get By, so I was like flying from New York down to Florida, right, like, directly. You know what I mean? This is like, luckily they were cool enough to let me go do that, you know. Because I, you know, I wasn't supposed to tell anybody, but, you know, we signed NDAs for Bowie. And I was just like, you know, I, I was just like, well, listen, I, you know, I'm cutting a record with David Bowie. <laughs> and they were, they were cool. So thank God, you know, otherwise it would have been messy. But um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, the circus really started when the record came out more than more than when. Um, uh, the, yeah, but the point was about, about him getting basically as as those sessions, January, February, March, like by the time March rolled around, he was almost normal you know what i mean like i mean he's a little frail from from it all but but mostly just in good shape you know what i mean like singing his ass off the whole the whole thing so and then afterwards like when he started shooting the videos for it like like the lazarus and the black star videos like he was in remission so like there was no i mean i think he knew you know it might be terminal or whatever but when you go into remission it's just like oh okay cool because there was also talk about doing another record at some point oh i didn't know that so, so, you know, nobody really knew. And then, you know, I think it started falling apart again in the fall of mm -hmm. 2015. And then, you know, so then January of 2016 is when he passed away. So heavy, heavy, heavy music, a hundred percent elation. And then, you know, my wife, something happens with my wife's family. This is like pure elation and pure, like, just like the worst, you know, mm -hmm. I, speaking of your wife, Rachel, I have questions about the stuff that you guys are doing together because you guys are doing this awesome thing, this Patreon that you have going. Right, right. Um, people can subscribe to it live from Blackbird Studios. Is that is that right? Live from Blackbird, yeah. Live from Blackbird, okay. Um, 
the stuff that you guys are making is so much fun and is so cool. Um, how fun is it to work with your wife in this way? Right. It's, it's a little high pressure because, you know, like we have deadlines to meet every week. Like, you know, like yesterday we were just trying, like this, you can't really just lay around and do nothing, which is like basically since COVID started, which was in March, you know, as soon as I came back from this European tour, you know, we just fired it up. It was like, we, we're going to make a Patreon page. And that was the smartest thing she ever thought of because it's paying our rent, you know, honestly, it's, it's like, so we're not having to dip into our savings at all. So like, which is cool. So, um, so basically, you know, like, like it's cool. We've worked out a lot of stuff. Like we've both gotten better at producing and, you know, she's been songwriting with a lot of people. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're always working on, she has to do, she does a performance on Patreon every week too. Like it's just her either solo or just duet with me. Um, which is always rad. Uh, so, you know, we just, we're just, and then we've been songwriting, like we have a music publisher, um, who like sending us artists to write with. So we've been writing with some people, you know, um, we've been obviously doing a lot of improvisation on synths and stuff. And then I think we're, we're actually going to do a duo record of just upright bass and voice. That sounds so awesome. Yeah, it's really good. Like, cause people have responded really strongly to that. You know, it's a, it's like us playing, you know, mood indigo is I'm like, you know, but people, you know, it sounds good. People really like it. And just, a, it's just a fun thing to do. So we're going to do it. And uh, yeah, I mean, so we, we have, we have a lot of fun writing together and doing stuff. And um, I mean, she's definitely got her way and I got mine. And so we just try to find the middle ground about doing stuff, um, you know, but uh, other than that, it's great. I mean, she's super productive. She's a hard worker. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And one thing that I'm curious about, that I don't, I don't think I've touched on yet is this, I get the sense from listening to you now and obviously listening to you play over the years that you like, you just like to try things to see what sticks, like throwing spaghetti at a wall, seeing what sticks and having fun um, with Pat sounds. Yeah, like my Patreon bass lessons. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, it's like, oh yeah, let's talk about this week. You know, like there's spaghetti. <laughs> Oh, you know, I don't know how, how many people, I mean, this stats, they tell you how many people watch it or whatever. And it's just like, I, I have no idea. I mean, I think a lot of people just want to watch me play. So it's just like, whatever. But yeah, I'm sorry. I, I remember. Okay. Oh, it's great. I, it's awesome. I think that that's so rare in the sense that like, because I get the sense that you don't think, you don't think about it all very, in a lofty way at all. Not usually, no. I mean, I probably should. Like, you know, like I've I re I realized recently, like, you know, because, because of time constraints and et cetera, et cetera, like, like in the studio, like my studio stuff, like, I don't know a lot about what I'm doing here. And if I knew a little more, it would, be, it would like my, make my workflow way easier. Like for instance, reading, <laughs> reading the instruction manuals and some of these pedals I have, <laughs> uh, you know, the, and one of the, one of the main challenges is, you know, from being online all the time, you know, from zoom or whatever, like trying to route, I, I finally got a, uh, I bought a plugin to make it happen, but to route like all your, yeah, like Ableton, iTunes, YouTube, like so you can hear all the audio at once when you when you screen share, right? So like you know that took a long time to figure that out. It's just like I'm sorry, I can't, you can't hear this because we don't, I don't know how to do it, you know. But now I'm trying to figure all that stuff out, and you know this is a it's endless really, you know. Yeah. But that's the fun though, right? I think the one thing that and I say this as, as someone who admires your work and and the work that you've done that there is this sense of like. Let's push this button and see what happens. Let's just try it and see what happens. And that's that's something I think that's so underappreciated in a lot of music these days. This idea of just let's just have some fun. Yeah, 
I, I agree. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's cool. Like if I just, I'm starting to see like, you know, I got tangled what you can't see it, but I have tangled wires all over the place here. And it's just like, after a while, like you start, you start getting in your own way with that stuff. And it's just like, you know, if I can improve that stuff, like my efficiency, would get a lot better. I'm just trying to, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where I'm just trying to get a little more efficient. You know what I mean? Cause sometimes I waste a lot of time. Like when we do the jams in the living room, like I have to rewire the entire studio. And like, I'm trying to figure out ways to just have it ready to go. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And one thing I'm curious about this idea of having fun, this idea of playing, um, like play, uh, in playing in a rock band, how does that change? Does it change your approach, if at all, um, how you sort of apply your style to a band that in a lot of ways is like already set up for, you know, a bass player sort of has a role, you know? Yeah. I mean, it depends on if you like paying your rent or not, <laughs> you know, you have to do the job, you know what I mean? So, I mean, in Chinesky Trucks, like there was, there was more room for, for stuff, you know, like I, I could play a, a song a different way every night if I wanted to, um, uh, you know, with the Black Crows or whatever, like, you know, that's a little more strict, but even then, you know, like those guys are all coming from the jam world too. So it's just like, okay. But, you know, like, like I think the tour we were going to do that's been canceled, of course, but like, you know, I, I was kind of playing the stuff off the record like right straight down the pike you know what i mean um because you know that's the stuff i mean this 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 yeah of course there's always interpretation is great but this is the this is what people have bought tickets for you know what i mean like i want to hear the iconic sound of the record so i'm not against ever like really you know i did a tour with brian adams in 2016 like and i was just like oh boy i hope i can do this like i thought i was just too free of a you know fly bird fly you know like like can i play an actual pop gig and play the parts right and i, and I did it was fine you know what i mean in fact he offered me the gig i just couldn't do it because i had just joined tedeschi trucks at the time so or just timing wise and all this stuff like it was it, i really did want to do it but it was just like the whole timing of everything it's always timing so um but that was a lesson in like okay can i play parts like that can i stay in, in the in the zone and not inject myself too much into it you know what i mean no because it's like it's just an it's just an instinct of mine it's not even like well i'm gonna show off here like on this bar it's like it's not like that it's just like well i just kind of like go sometimes and it's just you know so i try to rein that in as much as i can when on when i'm on a you know a gig like that because you know you have to think about your audience and they want to yeah. you know when we play Midnight in harlem like they don't want to hear me fucking around with the bass line they, they want to hear the bass line right you know? right for sure which sounds which is interesting hearing it as someone who's talked to a lot of musicians who feel like, who feel pressure in the opposite direction, right? Of like, they feel more comfortable playing parts, you know, that are, as you said, down the middle as they're written and feel it's harder to be themselves. That's the whole LA scene, you know, like the right haircut. And I mean, obviously they have some skills on, on bass and guitar and whatever, but that's what it's, that's what it's there for. It's just like, you know, cool, I'm going to nail these parts. And it's just like, you know, I don't have the attention span for it. You know, it, that's a young, young person's game, you know, like the look and the, you know, learning the fabulous bass lines. And so it's like, you know, I, I, I mean, I could do it if a forced to at gunpoint, you know, or if the salary was high enough, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but you know, like, like that's, that's fine. I mean, but I, you know, I'd rather have be on a gig where I can, with this room, a little bit of room to do stuff. You know, even like with the Black Crows, when we did the promotional gigs, you know, like I'd pick my spots and do my shit and they would turn around and freak out. They loved it. You know, it's like Chris. Awesome. Yeah, I was fine. You know, like they, they know how I, how I play. We've done enough stuff with them. It's not like, you know, they wouldn't hired me otherwise. So. Right. 
that I also I want to sort of unpack the Black Crows thing for a minute too, because a that's super exciting, and I hope I get to see it next summer. In Mansfield, right? Yeah, cross my fingers. Um, but the thing that I'm curious about, I guess, is you've got the brothers Robinson, but you also have the guitar player from Earthless, which right. is a band I'm quite familiar with. Oh, really? Oh, cool. I love that band. I, I came up in the metal scene. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. You told me that. Yeah. I, may have, I don't remember. Um, but I came up in sort of like the stonery doom Black Sabbath thing. Yeah. And they're very, if you could draw a direct line <laughs> between those two bands. Um, and I just think like the, the amalgamation of players is so unique, right? Yeah. Um, 100% with, with Isaiah, it, 100% works, you know, because he's an incredible song. Like the guy can just go and go and go and it ne never gets boring. So it's like, you know, I love the guy and he's a super cool guy, like the whole nine, you know, so. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. Have so, you had a chance to check out that stuff? What's that? Have you had a chance to check out Earthless at all? I've got a couple of records that I've checked out. Yeah. And I turned my friend Barry Blonder on him. And he's freaking out. He's just like, God, yeah. what the hell, you know, like, because he's like an amateur guitar player, great guy. He's like one of my friends. He lives in Phoenix, but um, yeah, he he's just like he's like, well, who are these guys? He's like losing his mind because he's a huge like Mo fan and Aquius, and you know, yeah, he's losing his mind. But Isaiah, yeah, yeah, he said it's it's. I just love that they put together these puzzle pieces that fit so well together. Yeah, um, which yeah. in some ways speaks to the integrity of those songs. Yeah, well, you know, they're, they're great. They're iconic songs. You know. Um, and actually, it's funny. Like they, they, like their third record, Amorica, is better than their first two. I mean, it, and they didn't sell shit. I don't think so. You know, like I—that's the one I can't wait to sink my teeth in because that stuff's hard. It's like, I mean, like as in not difficult, as in like just goes hard. It's like very Zeppelin, very Zeppelin. So like I'm, I'm into like wearing that out. You know. Funny story about that record. So my English teacher, sophomore year high school, uh, huge Crows fan. Like that, they were like his band, right? Wow. And he turned me on to the Crows um, at one point. And I was, he's, he emailed me a live set one night. Um, he, our extra credit homework, cause he was, Chris, Chris was married to Kate Hudson at the time. Right. So someone had asked like, what's Kate Hudson doing with Chris Robinson? That's like bearded hippie man. And so my teacher to his credit was like go find black crows live like youtube that and he was like you'll understand why she's married to this guy when you see that and i found some set from the 90s some like heyday right when it was really popping off it blew me away blew my mind and i found the music video for a conspiracy that was my Halloween costume the next year was Chris Robinson with the makeup. Huh. Wait, I got a, was it, was that there like the kind of the single from that record? I'm looking that yeah. up. Yeah. Oh, that's hysterical. Nobody knew who I was. People just thought I was weird with black hair and a lot of lipstick and eyeliner and stuff. I was I like, no, I'm Chris Robinson from the Black Crows. I mean, Chris, I mean, Chris is one of the best entertainers ever. Let's see. Black Crows. I'll put it on afterwards, but I want to, I want to find it. Black Crows. I think that's conspiracy. That's amazing. Cause that's one of, that's one of my jams. It's so good. Yeah. It really so is. Good. Conspiracy. All right. Conspiracy. Okay, cool. I'm going to find that. 
Yeah. Wow, look at him in this makeup. That's wild. That was my Halloween costume. I love it. I love it. Very strange. Nobody knew who I was, but that's okay. Um, the, speaking of Chris, though, because one thing I, I just sort of thought of is you've played with some pretty badass singers. Um, I'm curious about like the feeling of backing up, you know, singers like Susan and singers like Chris, the, cause when the, the thing about both of the bands that I think ties them together is that when everybody's like really in the groove and you're really sort of heading up the peak, right. Heading up the mountain and you hit that peak, there's nothing quite like that. Right. As you know, the bass and the drums to, you know, hold are like, they hold everybody together. They hold everybody down. But once you hit that place, I mean, what does that feel like to have a voice like that out in front? Oh, especially for Sue. I mean, Sue's, Sue's my favorite singer I've ever played with really. Like, I mean, you know, when she's, when she's full on, it's incredible, you know, like that's, you know, to watch people and also to watch people like go nuts when she's like doing her Joe Cocker, it's, it's incredible, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, it's a, it's a real high, it's a real thing, you know, it's, it's like, um, again, it's like, you know, it's totally in the moment and it's like the, that, that thing, but it's, it's, it's the high for sure. You know, like some, you know, I'll stand behind this, like some of the best shows I ever did were with Tedeschi trucks, you know, like just on a musical, like, like me judging, like, okay, was that as good as anything in the 55 bar? And it was, if not better, actually, you know, why do you think that? Well, cause you know, you know, like, like just because you're playing in a theater doesn't necessarily mean, you know, like you're playing a small club. It's like, yeah, the music, it's like, you know, just cause it's like, you know, French guys with cigarettes. Well, oh, this is so heavy, you know, playing a small club, but it's, you know, when you're playing a theater, like, but I'm, I'm telling you, even Chicago theater, which is gigantic. Like we have one of the, one of the, my favorite gigs I've ever done there, you know? Wow. Yep. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. Yep. And I told Derek afterwards, I don't even know if he agreed. He, he was pissed off because he broke a string or something like that. But once he, I hate to say this, but once he broke the string, like, can he stop playing for a second? Like Kofi took over, but Kofi took over and was ripping. It was unbelievable. And, you know, and then just the whole thing elevated to like, and, and, and Derek that night, it was, it was like a Saturday night at Chicago theater. I forget one, like maybe 2016 or 2016. Anyway, like, you know, just the whole thing. Derek was super creative. He was starting songs off differently and just cueing different stuff. And it was, it was cool. Like when he's directing the stuff like that, you know, that's what we need. I mean, you know, like if it doesn't happen like that often enough, it's like we just all get stale and he gets bad and, you know. But, but that was, that one night was like totally, you know, everything was tingly. It was insane, you know. For sure. It's, yeah, so that was one of the best gigs we ever did. And it was in front of 4,000 people. You know, how many, however many people fit in Chicago theater. Yeah. You know. um, and playing with Kofi, he's another one on my list of like, I have to, I have to ask you about Kofi. Um, the connection, like I've, I remember first, I actually came upon the review that I wrote, the first TTV show that I ever went to, like three years ago at right. the Orpheum. Right in the dead of winter and I had never seen he was like floating it was sort of he was this like singular presence that was undeniable in every way right um who played at the top of his game every night um how was that for you as a musician in in the way that it challenged you to think outside the box <clears throat> 
that sort of thing. It was, a, it, was a, it was a mutual, like what was happening, the chemistry with me and him was just like, you know, every night we were searching for stuff. Um, um, so like we would be playing a tune and like, you know, he'd, he'd throw something in and I'd like, I'd, I'd catch it and go send it back to him. And then he'd do the same to me. It was just like, you know, it was back and forth and it always, it went on and on like for the whole time I was in Tedeschi Trucks, you know. Um, yeah, I just felt like we were always trying to make music and I thought that was really cool. Like it, it, if nothing else, he and I would be on our each other's toes every night, just like trying to make shit happen. You know what I mean? Cause you know, luckily like Kofi, like just, he knew, uh, he knew how to make stuff like be different almost every night. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, I honestly, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to lie here. Like, you know, I'm not a huge flute fan. So like the flute stuff, and I know he was a bad motherfucker at it. Like when he was out playing, like when they put a couple of the tunes from the Derek trucks fans, amazing, but like really what knocked me out was his keyboard playing. Like, and even then he wasn't a virtuoso by any stretch, but he was virtuoso, virtuoso enough, you know what I mean? And like the ears were just, just ginormous. So like I could literally like, you know, I used to throw at him like anything I would throw at anybody at the 55 bar, just like the weirdest, you know, some substitution, some rhythm, something, and he was just on it. And like, and so we just like kind of, especially when he was taking solos, we just create a song, almost a song. I mean, that's how, like, that's how shame happened, honestly. Shame, shame was a solo from uh, Let Me Get By, you know? I just went into that vamp and he started doing it. And like, you know, Derek started playing it eventually. Like, cause, cause a couple of times I went back to it on different shows later on. But uh, yeah, cause it's just like, you know we were just trying to find a surprise that would elevate the stuff. And, you know, and Kofi was on board hundred thousand percent. Like you would never mishear what key I was in, never mishear what, you know, I love that. It's like, that's an amazing like thing. Cause you know, when you get in a big stage and like not everybody's hearing what yeah. you're doing exactly, but he did. And it was just like, man, it's just magic, you know? And a couple nights, you know, he just blew my mind. Like, just like, dude, you know, even, even if it wasn't even a solo thing, it was just like, you know, whatever he was doing, like he would do these intros to, uh, to um, little help from my friends, like, you know, just by himself and come back out of the encore. We always did it as an encore. And he'd just come play this amazing, like very diatonic, like organ solo, just be like almost like church stuff. And it was just like, whew, so yeah. yeah. Every note had meaning. Um, yep. He just, he was music. He's just, that was his thing. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I have a, a few more questions for you. And then I have some sort of rapid fire questions that I ask everybody who's on here. So we'll get to those in a minute. But am I allowed to ask you about Kevin's record? Yeah. Okay. So sure. what is coming next? I know you were in Atlanta recording with Kevin, the man, yeah. the legend. Tell us about that. I don't know what, I don't know how it's going to work because, you know, Falcon and Jason Kingsland are producing it. So I don't know when it's going to be available, but yeah, it was some pretty fire stuff going on, as you would imagine. Oh, yeah. um, Mark Giuliano was on drums and then um, he's got this friend from, his name is Quinn. I can't remember what his last name is, but he's unbelievable. Like those guys like have been playing together a long time. I, I'd recognize them. I, I, I didn't know the guy's name, but like, you know, from music in the park and like all the stuff that Kevin does in Atlanta, you know, we had, we had played together before and just, you know, I knew who he was. So man, he, you know, he, he was on the session. He also plays Rhodes and like does weird stuff on, on Rhodes and like, yeah. So like it, the, the chemistry with him and Kevin was amazing. So like, yeah, we just went and just recorded for like three days. Like, basically like we were doing sets you know like a half an hour of this a half an hour chunk and see which way it went and so you know it's not going to be fun editing for those guys but you know 
I can't imagine that'll be fun to have to slice and dice for sure. Yep. I mean, you know, you know Kevin's going to has his own vision, but it's going to be eclectic in some way. Right. So, you know, um, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be pretty damn good if I had to guess. So. Yeah, for sure. And just to sort of stick on that for a second, because Kevy, we talked about Kevy a little bit, but um, playing with him in that kind of a context, in like a studio setting, playing, I don't even, I can't even find the words to describe what it might be, but like Kevy being himself, quote unquote, in a studio setting, how is that different than playing with him on stage? Not, I mean, you know, like it's, we've done enough now where it's like, you know, it's, it's pretty natural. You know, I know he's got, he's got, you know, Kevy is just Kevy no matter who he's playing with. But like, I think, I think it's important to like couch what he does in different, in with different like kind of sonic things. Like, you know, I, I think he sounds cool over electronica sounding stuff, you know, which is what like a lot of what Who's Hat is, it's, you know, really basically is. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, you know, he's just, he just is Kevy and that's like, you know, you can't. You'll never mistake him for anybody else, which I think is just genius, you know. Yeah. So, and for he, you, did that free you up, like to to even more so than perhaps you may have been recently? I mean, you know, it's not. It's it just that stuff feels like riding a bike. So it wasn't like you know the COVID thing is just like oh cool, just go back to doing that. But also, Mark Giuliano was on drums, so like, and I have massive chemistry with him too. So like, it was super easy. You know what I mean? It was nobody to get used to. It was just like, okay, I know what he does. I know what he does. And actually Quinn was the X factor and he was amazing. So it was just like, it just was super cool. So That's awesome. I yeah. can't wait to hear it. I'm so excited. It's gonna be badass. I can almost guarantee you that. I can't wait. Um, the other question that I have that I ask everybody, is there any new music that you're listening to now that you think we should all be paying attention to? Let me look it up, hold on. Sometimes I forget. I, I'm old music i mean I, I listen to a lot of old music so it's like you know what did i just pull up and apple music though uh i just did a playlist for this label in russia rainy rainy days it's a lot of jazz stuff i could send you the link to it you want me to yeah that'd be great i can share that with folks yeah so that's just some old some stuff that influenced me and some stuff let's see what else did i get recently that's really good um just some stuff i played on i mean like uh I'm working with this guy, Rachel and I are working with this guy from Phoenix named Alasan, who's like, we just finished a song that uh, Jason Kingsland mixed. That's pretty stunning. It's, it's like, he comes a little bit from the jazz thing, but like, I think it's way different. I think it's going to be more compelling than usual. So I, I'll let you know when that's coming out. Uh, you know, Eddie Van Halen just died. So I went back into a Van Halen kick, obviously, but I think we all did. Um, what else? Yeah. Rocco Pastilla died. So like I went into, I have I have one particular Tower Power record I like a lot, which is in the slot, and then um, some bass music. Comes. What else? I'm just looking. Um, I'm looking through my iPod. Yeah, like my dad was a huge, huge Van Halen fan. Eddie was his was the guy. Yeah. And so that was that was a tough day. Yeah, it was it was really tough. Yeah, that, that was a, that was a tough one. You know what I mean? Because I met him a couple of years ago. Really? What was that like? You know, like I'm not, I'm not too starstruck, but this time I was. Um, I mean, that's Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> to me, the greatest, the greatest, the greatest guy ever to do it. The greatest guitar player who ever lived. Yeah. I just, I can't. I, I don't at you know what do they say? Don't at me with that. It's just there's no, it's, it's indisputable. I mean, you know, 
I mean, yeah, sure, Van Halen was a party band, but like just the technical mastery and the the groove and the and the ideas was just like bananas. Like, and you'll never hear anybody like that again. Yeah, I was talking to somebody about it, and I'm I'm curious to know what you think. That you know, Eddie Van Halen. There's like two phases of understanding Eddie that I went through. One is in the beginning, he's like Walt Disney, right? He's the magician. He's the, he wows you. He makes, he makes you go. <gasps> and then once you start to study Eddie and understand Eddie, he's like, he turned, you realize he's Yoda. Right. <laughs> yeah. You realize he's the Jedi master. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Let's see. I mean, yeah. I mean, to just go back and, and actually it was funny because like, you know, it's like rush, you know, like after a while it, you wear it out and like when you're young and then, and then like with Van Halen, it just sort of became, you know, I tuned him out after a while, you know I mean? It's just like, okay, what are they doing? But then I, you know, because they, they released all these like kind of other, other tracks, like there's a song called Tattoo that is like, it's like later on, it's like, I think it's, Van, I think it's David Lee Roth again. Like it was probably 2012 and they did a new record. You know, it's like Wolfie Van Halen on, on, on bass and singing. It's like, it's banging. I was just like, wow. Imagine them like with the sonic capabilities of now. It's just like, it was Titanic. Oh yeah, that would be huge. Um, so I have a couple of rapid fire questions for you um, that I ask everybody as well as some sort of New England specific questions that I think will be kind of fun. Um, <laughs> so let's begin with the best concert you've seen as a fan in the last five years. Tie LCD sound system and nine inch nails mm. in LA. Wow. Yeah. Which, and there's no, it's one and one A. One and yeah, one A, one B. That was, you know, okay. they both were so mind bogglingly great. I was just like, forget it. It was incredible. You know, yeah. I mean, nine inch nails was like, you know, I don't, I don't know all the material. I knew a lot of the LCD sound system stuff. So like, you know, um, I, well, I told you, uh, uh Murph was, uh, was at the black star sessions with us i don't know if i told you that i don't think he did i did i forgot to but um you know james murphy was who is lcd sound system he came to the black star sessions in the interest i think he was going to produce or something but it didn't end up happening that way but we got to be friends so i'm a little biased but man lcd sound system live it was also you know he dragged out all the keyboards all the synths and stuff that make that they make the records with and so it was just mind-boggling, and it sounded insane, and it's just like, oh my god! And then Nine Inch Nails—I've just been a fan of them for a while. So those were all like within the last couple of years. It was like, yeah, two or three years ago. That's awesome. Incredible. Um, yeah. one new record that you love, like from a new artist, or something new. Either it can be new artist or something that has come out recently that you like. Uh, hmm. <laughs> You're gonna get me on that one. Uh, something new. Uh, I mean, you know, some of it's like stuff I played on, so I'm a little biased. But um, actually, I kind of like this Yusef Days and Tom Mish. That stuff's good. It, like, you know, I'm I'm so tired of the D'Angelo vibe. Like, you know, I love I love D'Angelo, like the original guys who did it. You know, like, but I'm so tired of those beats, like, because just nobody's done anything different for so long. But these guys play the shit out of that stuff. It's yeah. pretty amazing. Um, yeah. So him, uh, yeah, that's that's good stuff. Um, what else? What else? What else? What else? Um, I played on this kind of a catchy tune um, from this band called Starwolf. Um, a great name for a band. Yeah, I played on this track called Bad Feeling. It's kind of good hooky pop stuff. It's good. 
I'll check uh, that out. That sounds cool. Star Wolf. Yeah. Astro Lobo, it's called. And then uh, this band called Bitch Falcon. They're friends of mine from Ireland. Uh, kind of like a doom metal. Doom, kind of grunge, like doom grunge. Pretty good. Pretty good. You'd be surprised how good they are for even from being from Ireland. That's uh, awesome. What's they call, what are they called again? Bitch Falcon. Bitch Falcon. Another good, awesome name for a band. Yep. I'm going to add that to my list right now. Yep. Um, okay. So here's another question for you. Uh, most memorable moment on stage? Well, there's one. I mean, for Tedeschi Trucks, it was doing that, uh, you know, the, the Mad Dogs on Englishman show. It was pretty magic, actually, I have to admit. Even though I did, you know, I knew Joe, who Joe Cocker was, but I didn't know it was all them, too. You know what I mean? Um, so that was pretty magic. It wasn't just because just to see them, how, how overwhelmed they were. They were overwhelmed. They were blown away. So that was, and it came out great. I mean, they're making, I think Derek and Sue are making a movie out of it. That's what I heard. I yeah. was supposed to be a part of the book, too. I don't know if you knew that. I was, Linda asked me at one point to write... Cause she loved this idea of like having a young person talk about something old, right? Like the generational connection and how that, why yeah. that matters. And I wrote her a, a thing and it, it was supposed to be published, but it wasn't. I'm in the acknowledgements though. Oh, cool. Better than nothing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was, yes, that was a, a super magical thing. I recently went back and watched the original footage, the 1970. Oh, movie. wow. What a, nightmare of a tour that must have been god they all gave each other herpes and stuff it's pretty funny <laughs> crazy um like real rock and roll i mean god bless them oh for sure and the um but as you alluded to i i think it appeared from watching videos of that show since at lock-in in 2015 that it meant so much to them to have you all do that it did it did. And to have it come off as well as it did, like, you know, something, I think there was only like one fuck up. It was like, you know, and it was totally minor. So we, we just kind of adjusted on the fly, but, but basically it was like, it was a triumph. It was really good. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one book you've read during quarantine. Uh, Malibu burning by uh, what's his name? Something Kerbeck, uh, Robert Kerbeck. So it's basically like, you know, like, cause we were still in LA. I, we've moved since, but like we were in LA for the fires in 2018, the Woolsey fire. So it was fascinating to read about a lot of, you know, it was all in Malibu for the most part, but it was, you know, some of the stories are pretty incredible, you know? So, wow. yeah, we actually, I, me and me and Rachel got a cat for, that we rescued from somebody whose house burned down. Like they had, they were cat rescuers, but they're, so they're living in a camper and they built a new cattery, like a, you know, chain link fence and all these cats are living there. Oh, it's, it's cool. They're, they're, they're happy cats. It's just, you know, it's fat, you know, that just made me feel more of a connection to it. And, you know, I wasn't far from it anyway. It wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, we got evacuated and all that crap, but uh, I, we got married a week later, actually. In, uh, Whoa, I didn't realize it was that, that was the timeline. Right on the borderline of where the evacuation area was too. The, the, the place we, we chose was like right on the edge of the fire. Yeah. But luckily it all came together. It was great. So. And your, was your house okay? It was fine, but it was close enough to, you know, that they did evacuate it just because it was like, I think they just wanted more than anything, keep the roads clear. Because yeah. um, we were still, you know, we were still like, as the crow flies, probably seven or eight miles from the really bad part. Mm. But yeah, so I read that book. What else did I read? 
Um, I'm in the middle of the, the Dynasty by Jeff Benedict. I don't know. Are you aware of that book? Uh, it sounds familiar to me. It's, really the, it's the Patriots book. It's oh, that's why. Insanely fascinating, actually. Is it? Yeah. I mean, they because they were talking. To, I still listen to WEI a lot. So like they were talking about, you know, when the book came out, like, you know, so I got it on Audible and like, it's just, it's riveting. Like when I'm doing all my cycling out here, it's like, you know, I put it on when I'm doing like hill climbs. It's like, it's, it's amazing, this book, you know. Like the whole thing between Kraft and Brady and uh, and Belichick, you know. Yeah. How are you feeling about the Patriots right now? It's fine, you know. Like uh, whatever. They just they are what they are. We're in transition year, you know. It's it's yeah. cool. And we've had you can't be bitching about. I mean, yes, you can bitch about Belichick's draft picks. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you look at it like the Jacoby Myers had a huge game last night. Like I was like, what's I, I used to like how he looks like it's his guys on the who like I don't have to get too it, but like the the guys pass the eye test you know like and whenever like i know brady didn't love him but like last year whenever i saw myers in the field he looked good so last night was just a testament that you know he caught 12 passes last night it's a lot so um are you as bitter as i am that tom brady or well i should ask it i should ask you this question given that you you said what you just said (laughs) uh i remember when tom got traded feeling really shitty about that so to watch him choke last night, I got to say, felt pretty good as somebody resented him leaving a little. See, I don't want that. I, I, I honestly, I want him to see it win another Super Bowl. Yeah, one more? I want, I want him to, yes. Very much so, actually. I don't think him leaving here was his fault. It was Belichick's fault. Belichick never really, like, you know, he made capitulations. Like, he didn't like Alex Guerrero. So, like, you know, I know that for sure. So, like, but he made capitulations. But, like, he never was like, they never had like a warm relationship. You know what I mean? And it was right. never like, and they, and you know, the last five or six years, they, he wasn't drafting anybody to help Brady and, and like Brady, you know, uh, I, I don't blame him. I really don't like the roster's falling apart. So that's why the team's kind of shitty this year. It's just like, you know, they have no talent. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I know it's very strange. It's very, very strange. My dad, I'm getting a lot of heat from my father who, Grew up watching the Patriots suck for a really long time. He's probably my age. How old's your dad? My dad's 52. Yeah, he's my age. So, like, yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, actually, the athletic, there's this, like, online thing. They were talking about some of the years, the 70s years. Like, you know, that's that's yeah. when I you know, that's when I was going to all the games. The yeah. Sam, you're, you're like, you know, it was just funny to go down memory lane with that. Oh, yeah. They were, I mean, they were really, people forget that they really sucked consistently for a very long time and it was only until like my lifetime <laughs> that they got good and so he, so he's like now you have to adjust to what i went through right right no right i mean you know there's a there's a whole generation of boston kids who just think the patriots have been the shit since they were born right you know and it's like no 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 you know 19 they had a couple of good years i mean obviously they had like i'd say they had like 10 good years between 1970 and 1990 19, no, in 2000, right? Yeah. The 90s were a disaster except for 1996 when they went to the ball, got killed by the Pat, uh, Packers. 86, they got killed by the Bears. Um, right? And then and then uh, after that, I mean, there was 76 and 78, they were good. They were great, actually. They were, and I was just reading about this on The Athletic. They were saying, you know, that team was a Super Bowl team. They got robbed by the refs a couple of times. I'll have to go find that. That sounds really cool. Yeah, it's very interesting. Very interesting. I'm definitely going to go look that up. Um, I have two more questions for you and then I will let you go. Okay, cool. um, is there new music coming out 
other than your own that you're excited about? Yeah, I don't know the details of it yet. I mean, I, I wrote a song with this guy, Van Hunt. I don't know if you know who he is. Hmm. Uh, he's kind of like this pr indie style Prince guy, like like really, really good songwriter. And so he's, well, I wrote a song with him. I don't know when it's coming out. Um, Rachel and I have been writing with Empire of the Sun. So I don't know whenever they get around to doing a record. I don't know what the status is of any of this stuff, but I'm pretty sure we'll have songs on that record. Um, what else did I plan? Anything that hasn't come out? Don't know. I mean, I can't remember record-wise. Everything, you know, it's a lot of it's been Scary Pockets and Scary Goldings and all that stuff. That's kind of coming out. Scary Goldings is actually pretty good. I like it. Scary Pockets is always good, but but the Golding stuff came out good. It's fun. So it's fun. It's fun stuff. Uh, what else? I don't really know. Uh, there might be a Black Crows record. Rumors has it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that won't, yeah. that won't happen on next year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one more thing. One more thing. How can people support the Patreon? That's very important. Oh, yeah. Uh, you just go to it and sign up. And, you know, like this, this, there's tiers that are totally affordable. It's like a $5 tier. There's a the $10, $15 tier. I mean, it's the more involved you get, the more expensive it gets. Like, you know, the lessons are like 50 bucks a month, I think. And that's, but it's a lesson a week and it's throwing spaghetti at the wall. But I think people, get some stuff from it and this is like gear videos three days a week and then we do jams on sundays we do jams on sundays and they come out monday that's like that's like the improvs that you see that we always post on on uh, instagram which are always pretty good they're fun so right it's just you know getting getting inside looks at what we're doing you know super super cool and this is my last question i've asked everybody this question it's my favorite question why do you love playing music just to, you know, you go to get that high, like, oh, that's so cool. You know, like just to feel that thing for a second, you know, I just, you know, it doesn't take much. Like, like, you know, there's like, you can put out something and it's like, there's rough parts do it all over the place. And then, but there's one thing that hits you and it's just like, oh man, it makes you feel good inside. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Well, Tim Lefebvre, thank you so much for doing this. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there you have it, kids. Tim Lefebvre. He's pretty freaking wonderful, right? Yeah, I know. Well, that's all I have for you in this moment. However, I want to remind you that Tim and Rachel have that Patreon that we talked so much about. The link is in the description of this show. You can also find the link for his Apple Music playlist in the description of this show. And... We have so much new music to go listen to. I tried to yank as much of it out and list it for you so that you have it, so that we can go listen and enjoy and explore some new stuff together. As always, thank you so much for listening. Subscribe to this program wherever it is you get your podcasts, and I will see you at the next dance.